It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 202, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, lots of mud, so much social media, and new iPhone. Hey, Gary, how's it going this week? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. We're uh, just... getting over some rain here, uh, back oh, yeah. to some good weather again for a few days, not the hot stuff. I was... Um, I'm sure you've been paying attention to the uh, the news out of uh, Burning Man, which yeah. I've been seeing some of those pictures. Oh my goodness! Um, I, I, I mean, as someone who uses a travel trailer from time to time for camping, um, that just seems like an incredibly difficult position to be in. Um, I just can't imagine getting pulled out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's the desert, and you kind of got to be ready for just about anything um I mean, at least it was it was a situation where a lot of people had lots of food and water and all that because they were expecting oh, yeah. to be out there for a long yeah. time so you know but when i when i think of desert i don't think of mud right so. oh yeah oh well okay yeah no i certainly <laughs> always think about like the pos because because when uh, backpacking canyons you always mm -hmm. you know in the desert like in utah usually you're in a canyon and it's dry and, you know, the plants are all these, you know, desert type plants. And if maybe if you're lucky, you hope that at the bottom of the canyon, there's a tiny stream that maybe it's just barely running or maybe just a couple of pools that haven't dried up yet. Right. But always in the back of your mind, you think that at any time I'm an hour away from hearing like a crack of thunder and seeing some clouds on the horizon and there being like a flood in the same canyon. Right. Like probably not, but you always think about that. You always think about like that it could happen because those flash floods in those desert canyons, they could be dangerous. I totally, totally get that. Totally get that. But you know, the, the thing about Burning Man, again, it's, it's, it's flat, right? Yeah. So it's not like the water, however much there is, is getting <laughs> funneled down a canyon, which of course yeah. is exactly what you'd be concerned about. Anyway, it's just it's just one of those odd things. I saw the pictures and I'm kind of scratching my head and going, well, that was not on the bingo card. No, but, you know, everybody, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people go to Burning Man hoping for a memorable experience of nothing oh. else. <laughs> and when it's just like, oh, yeah, it was like another it was kind of just like last year's they run together. You know, I mean, having something a little different happen, uh, you know, could be it's... could be good for some, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, they definitely have some memories. So yeah. what you got this week, Gary? Let's see. Uh, not 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 too much. I saw one news article that caught my attention because it, it goes back to something that I think we talked about years ago on this show. Mm -hmm. And it's at um, uh, Lenovo is coming out with a, a screen that appears to be a fairly typical 4K screen, except it's not. It's uh, it's got a 3D mode and this 3D would work without glasses. So the way 3D on screens works without glasses is basically there are two layers of pixels and these pixels can be directed at two different spots, your left and right eye. It is fairly complicated how it works because it needs to have a camera built in that detects where your eyes are. Okay, yep. and then has 
the the pixels directed in the right way. So basically your left eye and your right eye are seeing two different images. So in normal mode, this screen has uh, 3,840 pixels uh, you know, across. Right. But um, it if it's using this 3D mode, there's 1920 of those pixels are to one eye, 1920 are to another eye. Mm -hmm. And it's using the cameras to keep that straight. Uh, the document doesn't go into too many technical details of how it does that. I imagine you just have to basically have your, you know, your face right, you know, pointed straight at the middle of the screen and it should work. Um, and then the cool thing is, is that that it's the same as wearing glasses because each eye is seeing something different. One eye looks at the screen and sees one thing, one set of pixels. The other eye looks at the screen and sees another set of pixels. And the result is a 3D image much like how we look at the regular world where you're basically having two yes. eyes seeing two different images. Um, and it's fascinating, you know, uh, Sony and a few other companies had televisions that they were, were developing. Yes. Uh, and I think some of them came out that were like this maybe 10 or 15, 15 years ago. Yeah. Longer than that. It goes back. Yeah. I remember seeing them at yeah. um, Comdex when that was still going on years ago. Yeah. So it's interesting, but the idea of using it as a computer display I would assume it's more of a specialty use. Like maybe if you're building a 3D model, if you're an artist, you're building a 3D model, you could use this mode to actually see the 3D model in 3D. You wouldn't necessarily be watching a 3D movie with it. Uh, right. Although maybe, maybe you would be. Hmm. And also, of course, 15 years ago, having like a 4K screen 15 years ago was like, oh, a big deal. Whereas right. today it's just every day, hey, you know, the, the, the screen on sale at your local store is probably 4K. <laughs> so, it's funny. I was literally before we started recording, I was looking at an article about how 8K TVs yeah. are, uh, are happening and they're causing trouble in Europe because they use too much power. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of pixels uh, for that. So, and yeah, an 8K is like, I mean, I've seen 8K screens showing 8K video mm -hmm. and and it's pretty amazing. Um, right. But yeah, so I thought it's interesting that we've got a screen and this is, I think it's going to be like $3,000. Um, yeah. So it's actually not, not terrible. Yeah, not terrible. And I don't know if you're going to need, you know, what you're going to need to like, I, I assume you just can't like plug it into a, a Windows PC and then all of a sudden your desktop's 3D. I assume it's not that. I assume it's like, oh, this works in conjunction with this app and this right. app and this app, you know, right. and and they tap into this mode. Um, so kind of cool. And it is kind of cool, too, that it's not like, well, OK, now you've got this specialty screen. You put it in 2D mode and it just works like a 4K screen. Right. So you've got something that you could use normally and then it switches into this other mode. So the questions that come up for me, mm. a couple of questions and or observations, uh, as you point out, you need, you know, dedicated software to actually take advantage of this. Um, what it sounds like it's doing is just you know, normal face tracking, which, as we've seen yeah. in a number of cases, is actually doing really well. Finding your eyeballs is not terribly hard, apparently, for mm. most face tracking. Yeah. But um, it does mean that um, you will not have somebody looking over your shoulder. Yeah. In other yeah, words, you're not going to have yeah. two people using it at the same time. Yeah. And that's, I think, I think that's fine. I mean, I, that used to be a bigger deal. They, we used to talk about that um, years ago about the, the angles, right? 
Yes. And, you know, because the early LCD screens were like the angles were really poor. So you could sit and work on it fine. But if a coworker came over and you said, look at this, they'd be like, oh, hold on. And then have to like stand behind you. Right. Um, and then they talked about how, oh, no, this has fantastic angles. And they'd show like a coworker standing way off to the side and being able to see it fine. And that's become more and more common. But you know, I suppose I, I imagine definitely scenarios, you know, the cubicle, the coworker, the five people that come into your cubicle and they all want to look at stuff. But how often does it really come up? Like for me, it comes up 0% of the time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came to mind though is, okay, great. They're, they're somehow directing the pixels. Yeah. Now, okay, I'll, I'll give them that. I have no idea how they're doing it, but okay, let's mm. assume they've got some way. The amount of change required, like for example, I'm like what, two and a half feet uh, from my monitor right now. Yeah. And my eyes are a few inches apart. That means the amount of movement for pixel, uh, which presumably would be half that off center, is like minuscule. Yeah. Really tiny. Um, that's impressive to pull off. And I'm just, I, I look forward to seeing this and seeing how well it um it pulls it off because uh there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could go wrong i wonder if it's just a simple like uh vertical line matrix <laughs> where there's basically two screens that shine through each other mm -hmm. and a set of vertical lines and you know, the pixels are extra wide so that if you shift the the one one screen and the other you know the one set of pixels and the other set of pixels the whole set so you know the entire you know, 19, 20 pixels mm -hmm. gets shifted just a little bit over. Mm -hmm. Then, or maybe the lines themselves get shifted, not even the pixels. Then it's kind of like it's just covering up some pixels and revealing some other, or coming covering up a part of a rectangular pixel. See what I'm saying? I do. The, the problem yeah. is, I mean, if, if, the, if the light is coming out straight, in other words, if it's not targeting the eyeball, um, I'm just not sure how that wouldn't affect what you see in both eyes. It's the it's the fact that they're actually showing something different in each eye implies that the uh, the light is coming out at a very very slight angle, angled a little to the left for the left eye and a little to the right for the yeah. right eye. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It I, will be interesting. It will be interesting. It seems like you could you know you should be able to do this without eye tracking. Just go with the assumption that you are staring straight at the screen directly in the middle of the screen, you know, and let you yes. adjust, yep. you know, and so especially if this is for something like building 3D models or or whatever, it's like, you're not going to have it on all the time, right? but you press the little 3D key in your software and you, it uses this. You, and all of a sudden, you know, as long as you have your face, you know, oriented the right way, right. now you see 3D and then it's like, oh, you can save all that money on that eye tracking and all that stuff and just be like, make it's just assume, you know, I don't know. The other thing that comes to mind is um, manipulation. So, okay. so you've got a, a 3D thing floating in the screen in front of you. Um, yeah. What do you do with your mouse? The mouse is, is by definition yeah. Oh, a yeah. two-dimensional uh, selection device. I, I'm not sure what happens. Well, I, that that I mean, obviously, the software would have to have that built in. There's there are already uh, there are already apps and games and things that use goggles that give you a 3D image. Mm -hmm. So it's already being done, um, you know. And and of course, when you are using uh, like a a 3D 
modeling app. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not an artist, but I have used 3D modeling apps in the past to do simple things. Um, you know, you're basically, your, your pointer is crawling along a plane, you know, and you have to do various different things to make it, you know, the plane move up and down and back and forth and all of that. I've never so, seen one that that goes, you know, back, Z axis kind of manipulation, right? Forward. Well, you back. have to. It's yeah. always been it's always been rotate the 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 object, the three D object, and then manip, you know work on it in the in the two D space. I mean, I think you hold down keys, if I remember correctly. So you know, you know, the control key. You mm-hmm. know, if I'm not holding down the control key, I'm use, moving an X and Y. And if I hold down the control key, all of a sudden I'm moving an X and Z. Right. And so right. if I'm trying to get the cursor to select something, the pointer to select something, I would just kind of get used to that movement and get what I want. Or if I grab something, I'm like, okay, X and Y movement. Okay, now I'm X and Z movement. And that's how you position things. And so it will be no different just because you could see 3D. It would actually just make it a little bit hopefully easier to do because sure. you wouldn't be still looking at a 2D image. And, you know, the problem with 2D images is sometimes they create these obstacle illusions. Um, I mean, it's great if you've got a really complex 3D model that looks very real, like, a you know, it's like a person and your brain interprets that right. But sometimes if you're doing, I've got a sphere and a, and a rectangle and a, you know, trapezoid or something over here. And you start to move them around, all of a sudden your brain kind of flips like what it is you're looking at. And you're like, whoa, okay, look away for a second, look back. Okay, okay. The circle's behind the 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 you know cube or whatever. And so yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting um to see what it's well, the main thing is to see if this is going to be like one thing that comes out and it's like a specialty thing, or whether mm-hmm. it's technology that is then further adapted. Uh, and becomes mainstream-ish, you know, or something that you can you can it's get. It's interesting to to go back to the three D TVs of ten or fifteen years ago. Um, they were interesting, but I think that the thing that really prevented um, adoption was simply the requirement that you had to have either glasses or a headset or something silly like that. Yeah. Um, hey, this this I, at least is the um, has potential for for making that happen. You know, I so saw the interesting thing is when we think of computer screens, mm-hmm. uh, we're typically thinking of something that's probably 27 inches unless it's a, a laptop, but mm-hmm. they're bigger ones. There's 30 and 32 inch ones and there's smaller ones like 24 inch. Every once in a while, when I'm talking to somebody about a screen, you know, somebody asked me a question or whatever, I get this, oh, I'm using a 42 inch, uh, like LG TV as my screen. Yes. yes. And, you know, when they have to hook it up through HDMI, because you know, that's right. usually what it comes up. I said, yeah, don't use HDMI, use DisplayPort. Oh, I don't have anything else as of HDMI because I'm using a 42-inch television right. as my display. And I'm like, you, you are? Wow, okay. And it's come up enough times to make me think that there's a percentage, 5% of computers or something, that say no to standard monitors and instead are using TVs, big TVs, right. as their display. I mean, it works. <laughs> it works but, fine, and, and it's typically cheaper. Um, you know, the, yeah. the cost the cost per inch, if you will, is probably cheaper for a television. Oh, definitely per inch, because I mean, you go. I, I think one of the things is, is that you're getting much bigger pixels than what uh, you know the software, whether it's operating system or actual apps, is are designed for. Right? I mean, a 42 inch, say 4K screen. The pixels are huge compared to, say, a 27-inch 4K screen, mm-hmm. and it works fine. Mm-hmm. And I guess once you, you know you get used to it, or maybe if it's all you've ever known, it's fine. And for some people, it's just a it's just an odd preference, right? It's just like 
you know, I, I don't know. Everybody I've ever talked to that does it loves it. Nobody's ever complaining and and saying, "Oh, I should be getting a computer screen." I had no idea. No, they're all like, "No, I'd never switch from this." Um, but yeah, I've only done it when I've actually like needed to like, oh, I'm going to hook up a TV just to play a video or mm -hmm. slideshow mm -hmm. or something like that. But I've never tried to actually sit and like put a screen. I'd have to put it back on my desk. It would have to be behind my desk. <laughs> you know, yeah. it would have to be further away. Yeah, they're big not, enough not, that they can't be as close yeah. as the normal ones are. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't, even if you're like, oh, it, but it's easier, you know, if you have bad eyesight, it's easier to read or whatever. Yeah, but just your neck, just turning <laughs> to go from the left side of the screen to click on a thing over there and to the right side of the screen. I mean, you're probably not just moving your neck, you're probably moving like your whole torso to like, you know, constantly go across. The, the, the idea is, a lot of times to be able to hold your head steady and just work on your screen. The other, um, the other problem I, I wonder if they run into by using a TV is um, overscan. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's something I notice actually all the time. I watch um, YouTube videos on my Roku while I'm exercising. And I just noticed this again this morning, actually, when I was doing something that, uh, you know, the, the person in the video is pointing to something, you know, at the edge of the screen and it was half gone, it just wasn't there because the TV was designed to, um, to do overscan. And for, for those that don't realize overscan means that uh, it comes from the old CRT days where uh, the, the actual CRT image would be a little bit bigger than what you actually saw. There'd be a ragged edge around around the entire image. And that would be there because TVs were weird, I guess. That carried forward, apparently, into the digital age so that, um, you know, when you're looking at a 1920 by 1080 image, sometimes you might be looking at a 1900 by 1060 image because there's 10 pixels of loss all the way around the edges. Yeah. I don't know if it's 10 pixels these days or what it is, but that does happen and it does show up and it's specific to televisions. I have run across televisions where you can configure overscan to be off. Um, I have no idea why it would ever be on these days since everything is digital, but I just found it interesting. And I wonder if that's something that they might run into in the case of window that, in yeah. windows and Mac, even, um, you know, you might find that half of your menu bar, or half your task bars is off the screen. You can't even see it because it's, it's in that overscanned area. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I mean, it also brings up that, you know, there's a huge discrepancy between like what people care about when they talk about screens, because I could talk to people who are using an old screen, like a 1920 by 1080, mm -hmm. you know, that they've had for 15 years mm -hmm. and they like it. It works great. It looks good on my desk. It, I'm used to it. I just got my new Mac. I hooked it up to it and fine. And then you have other people that get obsessive over things like refresh rates. And like, it's like, oh, I can't do 60 Hertz anymore. I have to get a screen that's at least 120 Hertz. <laughs> and, and then, and then I test it out and I'm running these, these tests and I'm not getting the refresh rate that I really want, you know, when doing this. And it's like, so you have this, this range of like people that are really particular about every little setting, you know, the number of the, the amount of brightness, Mm -hmm. You know, the nits, you know, mm -hmm. on the screen, how black is the black, right? Right. There's nothing there. <laughs> is it like, is it, what's the difference between the, the, the screen being off or there's black in one part of the screen? And then you have other people that are like, yeah, my old, you know, uh, Acer screen from 2004. Your literal CRT. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. Is, it, it is fine. And I don't, you know, I want to just get another Mac mini so I can keep using it or whatever. Um, <laughs> So, yeah.
it's it's but that's all over all the different stuff on computers right of course people of that course. are really picky about all the latest greatest newest stuff and people that are just fine with how it's been i tend to be pretty flexible myself <laughs> so um yeah. changing changing gears a little bit uh, one of the things that I ended up doing uh, last week or the week before, I think I did it um, while we took our little break, and that is I set up my own Mastodon server. Mm. Now, to be clear, I did not actually configure a server. Um, I ended up uh, signing up with one of the Mastodon hosts, so you can just give them a few bucks every month, and they will set up you know, a dedicated Mastodon server for you. So I'm, I've got social.askleo.com is my Mastodon server. And I, of course, am Leo at social.askleo.com. Um, and I've been playing with threads at the same time. Threads, of course, is um, uh, Facebook's Instagram-based Twitter clone, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, I say Instagram-based, and that actually was one of the great reasons that they got off to such a great start, is that they just used your Instagram account and all of your connections on Instagram were immediately available in threads. So it was like they really were able to hit the ground running with that. There are so many alternatives uh, playing around right now. Uh, and I think I've talked about it before. I, I want... I just want one of them to win. I'm still waiting for one of them to win. Um, you know, X slash Twitter continues to, I don't know if circle the drain is right, but there, there's definitely yeah. not, not good stuff going on over there. So I'm really looking forward to one of them to make the, the, the leap ahead and then hopefully have all of those sources that I've talked about before make the jump. Right. I want to see the government agencies do it. I want to see the newspapers do it. I want to see, you know, a bunch of of places that we normally get on Twitter these days um show up on some of these other services. But until there's a winner, um, that's just not going to happen. So I've been having a lot of fun with threads. Threads is finally available on the web, which was the big sticking point for me. I spend my day in front of a browser. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got big fat fingers, so doing things on my phone isn't not isn't necessarily the uh the way for me to use it and uh, having my own mastodon is has been kind of cool it's been kind of edgy, you know, interesting one of the things that confuses people about mastodon is great how do i set up a mastodon account well you you don't you, you set up an account on a mastodon server and which for some reason causes causes brain lock in a number of people and what i've done is, is i've simply uh, likened it to email you're not setting up an email account with the email service provider. You're setting up an email account with an email service provider. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing is true for Mastodon. Uh, you're setting up an account with a Mastodon provider. And using that provider, you can see everybody else's Mastodon, just like you can send and receive email to and from everybody else, uh, regardless of what their email provider is. So, uh, and that's why I was able to just go off and, and set up one of my own. I can still access all of all of the other accounts I care about on ma other Mastodon servers, and they can see mine. Um, but it, uh, I think I've said before, I'm hoping that Mastodon is the one to win, but that's purely a geeky hope. Um, and in fact, what I'm finding on Mastodon, the people that I'm following, the kind of accounts that are available, it tends to skew more geeky, probably for obvious reasons. Whereas Twitter uh, seems, I'm sorry, Threads seems to be a little bit more populated with, uh, for lack of a better term, normal people. <laughs> so, but anyway, I've, yeah. I've been playing with them. I've been watching them. Um, I've been watching them both personal 
uh, threads for me is only personal. I have mm -hmm. a different Mastodon account for my personal stuff. And then I've got, um, you know, Mastodon for, for Ask Leo. And it's been kind of interesting to play with and, and watch. Uh, you sounds like you're not quite as, as enamored with, with the whole Twitter fallout. Yeah. Well, I am. Thing. Well, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, Twitter continue, well, X or whatever continues to get worse. Mostly, uh, well, some of the decisions they're making and their leader, um, uh, who uh, makes me want to go back and erase permanently some episodes of this very podcast where I talk <laughs> positively about him. But I mean, he just he just continues to cross more lines, and it gets worse. And and then of course some of a lot of the lines he's crossing are just personal. They are things that are actually now Twitter policy, right? Uh, or you know, I mean, he's kind of like you know. Uh, uh, it, it, when he says something, it becomes Twitter policy because he owns the company. Right. Right. There used to be that, you know, the CEO of something said something. It's like, well, what's the actual policy of the company? You know, there's a board of directors, there's people and it doesn't, it's all blurry with, with X or Twitter. Right. So yeah, I'm more and more disenamored. Matter of fact, I, I've stopped posting there, mm -hmm. uh, I stopped posting there a while ago. And, um, I removed some links to it. I actually went in the last week and tried looking for other places where I was linking uh, to uh, my old accounts mm -hmm. and purposely removing them um, at this point. And I'm even looking at some, oh, I've done some tutorials in the distant past that probably have no relevance today about like, what mm -hmm. is Twitter and like how to, how to get Twitter followers and how to use Twitter, you know, back in like 2009, 2010, right. that kind of thing, um, has just, you know, part of what I did at Mac most and they don't get any hits today and they're not relevant today because things have changed a lot, but I'm still considering it's like, I might just take them away with a note left there, uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, not happy with Twitter, but, um, I'm worried about, the others, right? So, you know, Mastodon, Threads, uh, Blue Sky, and all that. And in particular, Threads. I Threads is probably the only network out of all of these that I'm actually checking every day now. Right. I think maybe, I've seen you post there a couple of times. Yep. Yeah. And I try to post like when, you know, there's no automatic posting yet, or if there is, I haven't noticed right. uh, companies springing up to do it. But so I've just been manually posting, like, here's my new video or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think about, the company that owns it, Meta or Facebook. And there's that whole thing of, you know, Facebook is so mature at this point that they do a lot of things like if you scroll through Facebook, it's, you know, it's showing you the suggested posts and things. It's showing you different content. It's tracking your clicks. It's tracking your likes. It's tracking how much time you spend looking at something, right? Something look interesting and you pause while you're scrolling. It's going to know, right? I mean, it's, you know, very deep into the algorithm and building a profile on you and trying to, to get you addicted to using the product, um, engagement and all of that. Mm -hmm. I gather it's my kind of educated guess that threads doesn't yet have much of this, right? They put it together so fast. It's like, just let's get it working. Okay. Yeah. You can now post things. You could see other people's posts. Good. Let's build from there. And so I get this feeling as I'm looking through threads that it's not really tracking me th that much yet. I just know it's going to come. It's either going to, threads is either not going to work out, like it's not going to become like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the the replacement for Twitter, or it is. And if it is, 
then it is going to go into a, to a point where I'm going to feel kind of icky using it <laughs> because it'll be like, oh, I paused over that story about, you know, solar panels. And now it's going to know that I'm interested in solar panels, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Are you um, still using TikTok? You know, I, yeah, I do. But so uh, TikTok is the one entertainment. that's- TikTok oh, yeah. is the one that's incredibly famous for that kind of an algorithm where they're, in oh, fact, yeah. I, I read somewhere that the amount of, t which which TikToks you watch and how long you spend on them is oh, basically, sure. um, you know, 99% of their algorithm. It's a very simple algorithm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it is a little more straightforward. Um, whereas I think it, it, something like Facebook or a, you know, a Twitter type clone, it's a little bit more hidden. It's a little bit more like, hey, you know, you're just doing this. You're just looking and see what your friends are up to and it's you know never mind that we're tracking that whereas uh tiktok i'm definitely not looking to see what my friends are up to because i don't really have any friends producing content on right. on tiktok yeah a few here and there right but most of the stuff i'm looking at is just i'm looking for entertainment i'm looking for i see a lot of stand-up comedians and you know the little bits that they choose to put on there mm -hmm. uh little sketch comedy stuff uh and still people talking about physics and astronomy and all of that and you know, it's like I'm I'm looking at all the stuff. These people I don't know. They're basically like mini TV shows to me. And if I do like something, or at least I watch the entire thing, I do want to see more of it. Mm -hmm. And if I do scroll quickly past it, I do want to see less of it. Which, by the way, makes it tough, especially when these reaction videos. You know, because the first five seconds is somebody saying something horrible, and then, and then you're about to scroll away, and then it breaks into somebody you know, you know, right. you've seen before saying, right. and here's why they're wrong and then you're like oh so this is the opposite a lot a lot of times it's it's their um you know the flat earth stuff right i have I, definitely I, taken to um be, before i scroll away on those i'll yeah. definitely take a look in the lower left hand corner and see okay who's this from yes oh it's from this person okay yes. there's, some, there's something better yeah coming. that's the yeah, trick yeah. that's the trick yeah because yeah. it'll be something like somebody claiming that rainbows don't exist or something like that and then <laughs> and then it'll be like what and then it'll be like somebody saying okay this is a common like flat earther kind of thing so let's look at why they think this and then the rest of the video is fascinating right you know as you learn about uh prisms and and water droplets and you know all sorts of stuff so so yeah so uh, tiktok's a little different tiktok i'm there for i'm there for the algorithm to show me good stuff whereas with social media i really don't want that i want to see what my friends what the people i've chosen to follow are posting mm -hmm. and uh you know so yeah it's kind of like it, it 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 bugs me. It's like I think it's making threads good now, but I've also been through the thing where uh, the uh, you know Facebook seemed so good at the beginning, and then I got really disenchanted with it later on, years mm -hmm. later. And then you know, like, have you ever looked through your Facebook stuff to see what uh, you know, what Facebook knows about you, like the little like things that you like and don't like and all of that. It's, you, it's been a while, but yes, I've looked at that. Yep. Yeah. And then some of that stuff, like, you know, not now, but as recently as like a couple of years ago, I went through it and some of the stuff was like, oh, it knows I like the Beatles because at some point I actually became a fan of a page called like the Beatles. Right. Right. Or I know it was, I think it was like, you could choose your favorite music groups. You know, and I said, yeah, I want to do that. 
and I, you know, clicked the Beatles and it's like, so it didn't do anything like to figure out like, oh, how does, how does it know I like the Beatles? Right. You told it. It knows yeah. I like the Beatles because I told it, <laughs> but I told it back in 2007 right? when that seems so innocent. And I kind of, that's kind of my point here is like threads, like I kind of feel like, oh, it's so innocent now you know, following different people. And it's like, oh, new community and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, 10 years from now, am I going to look back and do the same thing and say, oh, I told that I liked that. And that's why it's telling me, you know, showing me these ads or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's interesting. I'm not seeing as much of the, um, the opportunity for threads to pick that kind of stuff up. First of all, um, I definitely make sure that when I fire up threads, at least on the web interface, um, I'm seeing um, not the for you equivalent, but the people I'm following. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm yes. only getting I'm only getting posts on threads from people I actually follow, which right. I think reduces like you know about you know sixty percent of what people complain about when it comes to threads. Um, and then uh, you know what can you really do with their posts? You could like them, you can comment on them, I guess. Um, you can share them. You know mm -hmm. those are pretty typical signals. And threads, of course, can use that, and along with the amount of time you spend watching them. But uh, but I'm not sure. It seems like Facebook had the opportunity to pull up a lot more information about you um, with the different kinds of interaction that they support. Now, what I find interesting, and I suspect um, should probably be a greater part of your concern, <laughs> is that, yeah, Facebook has all of this data on you. So Threads does, too. Right, you weren't using Threads, but it's it's the same company that's been collecting all of this information on you. Therefore, um, I would be shocked if at some point in the future, that's true. It, yeah. it wasn't somehow used to, um, you know, do something with what you see on Threads, even though none of the data was collected from Threads. Right. Well, and and you know, the whole thing makes me really like the idea of Mastodon so much yes. more. Yes. But it it's still not going to work unless like there's a critical mass yep. there. Yep. So that's it's so disappointing to you know it's like it's like finding a really cool app and then realizing that nobody else is using it. So there's not going to be a version two and it's not going to be around ten years from now. Right. And there's no point in investing like time into it. I I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I I I did see a story somewhere, maybe uh, where that Usenet is becoming popular again. Oh, really? <laughs> I certainly have seen some folks on Mastodon comparing it, comparing its feel to the early days of Usenet. Right? Not the yeah. not the not the interaction feel, but the actual the feel of the kinds of people that are there and the kinds of things that you're talking about and so forth. Um, yeah. Uh, so I I mean it's yeah. It comes up if I did a new search. Um, uh, let's see if I could find it there. I, I saw it just pop up. I mean, it seems to make sense that people that will, um, uh, you know, because it, it it has kind of the same feel. I mean, for those of us that were around, right. it was kind of neat, these little communities that were topic-based. Exactly. Communities. And um, yeah, I'll try to put a which, link. Which, to be fair, Reddit. Yeah. Exactly. And there are definitely uh, communities um, that When you are, think about it, yeah. Reddit is the Usenet with voting, uh, <clears throat> when you think about it. Yeah, that's true. And 
I, I gather that some of the communities, people start to know each other. Like in my local community, um, one, which is for a whole city. So it's probably bigger than most. Right. Uh, I do think, I do see people recognizing each other. I don't post often enough or hardly at all for people to recognize me. Right. And I don't care to look to see who's posting stuff. But I'm starting to see some, you know, there's some friendliness sometimes from the most common posters, right? Uh, which is which is kind of interesting. It's, uh, I mean, maybe maybe topic based or community based um, is a little bit is better. But then again, next door is all about trying to be community based. I've I did in the two communities I was in where I paid attention to next door. I don't do it currently. Um, I didn't see much of that happening. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the, the the term dumpster fire comes to mind when I see think about next dumpster door. fire. I, I, keep, yeah. I do pay attention to it. I mean, so no, I, what I'll say is I get the daily summary of what's interesting in my, uh, in my neighborhood. And um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. Uh, there's a fair amount of negativity and cluelessness on next door that just makes it, um, it would not qualify as a community in that sense. You no, know, I think, but it's supposed to be, you know, that's the thing is you could tell. Yes that the tools are there, maybe some other places there are, maybe there are select areas where there is actually community that's formed. I know that in the pre uh, next door days, I was part of a group that was a Yahoo group, right? Yes. So not yeah. meant for this, but it was a local Yahoo group. And it happened to be for a community of houses that were new. So everybody was new to the neighborhood. There weren't any like old timers there because a year before there, you know, there were no houses. Right. Um, and at the beginning, that kind of felt like a community, and then it got to be too big, mm -hmm. um, and the, it went away. So maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a size thing. I mean, they, what do they say? 150 people is like the size limit for a community where everybody can know everybody else. Once it goes mm -hmm. above 150, uh, that becomes more difficult. I think with online stuff, it could go bigger simply because so many people are completely quiet. Mm -hmm. right? I think you could actually have thousands of people as long as they're not all involved. Right. right. As long as like the 80% of them are lurking and pop in every once in a while and only maybe up to that 150 people are actually active all the time. And they're kind of the community leaders. So, so yeah, I just, I, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that in 2023 that this hasn't been figured out yet. Cause it seems like Usenet way back at the beginning, you know, was like the beginning of this thing. And then we got all these improvements like social media networks and Twitter and all of that. And yet I I don't feel that sense of community uh, existing as it should be, given that people have been working on this for so long. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? It's interesting. I do have a couple of alternatives where I do. I was trying to think of, you know, where where online do I feel some community? Yeah. And um, there are a couple of mailing lists. I mean, for example... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an I'm an admin on a Corgi related mailing list, and mm -hmm. that's definitely a community. It's it's actually one that started on Usenet and and made the transition to email. Uh, but um, you know, definitely a community spread out around the world, and there are people because they are part of that community who actually get together and have in person things. And it's one of the one of the ways that I promoted the uh, the Pacific Northwest Corgi picnic because there are a lot of people in the area. Um, so, you know, there's definitely community there. The other one that I find interesting, and this basically boils down to topic-based, is um, uh, Discord. 
I'm on a couple of Discord servers, mm. and there's one where I really feel like I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not the most. I'm not the one who participates the most, but I feel very included. Right? I feel like it's part. It's a community there. Um, and in watching a couple of others where I occasionally just lurk, uh, nothing more than lurk, um, you know, I can see community happening there too. But again, it's it's like you said, it's, it goes back to being topic-based, um, but rather than just sort of general, um, let's just, you know, yell at the world kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. You're right. It's, it's, it is kind of disappointing. Honestly, I think that the big disappointment is not... Um, that we don't have the solution it's that we had a solution or something that was at least progressing towards something that might have been a solution um that just got completely nuked by uh, by what happened to it a year and a half ago um yeah that's really unfortunate i think twitter was absolutely not perfect i mean i'm not trying to say that in any way that it was perfect but um it had so much potential and all that potential is now gone yeah. And when, like I said, when I went, was going through and deleting like links to Twitter and stuff, I, um, I, I found those articles that I did or those videos I did on like how to get Twitter followers and like the basics and stuff. And it did make me feel like, ah, you know, I think I might've taken it for granted. I think it was actually pretty decent. <laughs> um, you know, and it's easy to go and look at it like, oh, it's this platform and here are the problems with the platform, right. um, without, thinking that, well, but it was a pretty good platform for things. And now it's not anymore. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, mm. ah, well, let's switch to yeah. something a little bit more positive. Prognostication. Yeah. I hear, I hear there's a new iPhone coming. Well, yeah. So next week will be Apple's iPhone event where they introduced the, the iPhone 15. And so the rumors are we have now about what's to come. Um, but the rumors are kind of underwhelming. I mean, not underwhelming. I mean, there's some neat technical things, but it's, it's just very realistic rumors. <laughs> you know, there doesn't seem to be anything there that really like was like, no, I don't know about that. You know, um, I mean, one of the big things for the iPhone 15 will probably be uh, goodbye to the lightning port and hello to USB-C. No big surprise. And Apple's been right. moving slowly towards that for years and there's already USB-C uh, on iPads, for instance. Um, and there's really not going to be any functional change. Just the shape of the end of the cable will change. Right. Matter of fact, the, the actual cables you get are USB-C on one side now and lightning on the other. So like the chargers for a few years now have already been USB-C. The MacBooks already have USB-C and all the Macs have USB-C on them to plug mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. So it's just now the other end of the cable is going to change to USB-C. <laughs> and and it's not going to – there won't be any like now finally you can do nah, – the only thing you finally do now is you know, hopefully move towards – only having one set of cables, <laughs> you know, like traveling, you have to be like, oh, I need at least one lightning cable for my mm -hmm. iPhone and USB-C is for everything else. Uh, now, once you update, it could be that it's like you pack up for, you know, travel and you see that, oh, I only need USB-C cables. So I can right. bring like a short one and a long one and that'll just take care of all my needs. Um, I haven't tried this with my iPad since it does have yeah. USB-C, but um, mm -hmm. The one thing that a USB-C port might enable is yeah. plugging in accessories. Yeah, well, you, but you could already do that. So the thing is that, remember, it's just if you have a cable, you've got one end is lightning. The other end is USB-C. 
you plug that other end into something a usb device and they already work that and, already works. and if it support if the device support uh, supports the iphone right then it would work okay. now you would just have a different cable so yep. like on uh, ipads in particular like you could plug in uh, hard drives now what's good is that you know you've got usb-c flash drives mm -hmm. that have you don't need a cable for because there's usb-c coming you know male usb-c coming right. out of the flash drive so you could plug that directly into an iPad and presumably be able to plug that directly into uh, an iPhone as well without needing a cable to go in between them. Um, but it's not really going to suddenly like things will now work that didn't work before. Got it. It's like it needed to work before too and and, and all. So yeah, it's not really uh, – like if you, if you take a USB-C device that is not compatible with the iPhone, it just doesn't do anything with the iPhone. Like mm -hmm. the iPhone doesn't recognize it or whatever. It's not – it's suddenly not going to work. It's There still would have to be software to support it. Got it. Um, so yeah, there, there's that. Of course, for a lot of iPhone users like myself, the actual port is rarely used nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's wireless charging, and the new one is going to support like a higher speed of wireless charging. Uh, which is fine. Um, and uh, so that's good. The There's going to be increases like a faster processors, maybe maybe some more RAM, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, one interesting feature that I'm looking forward to, if it's going to happen, and it's going to actually put me in a bit of a conundrum, is the rumor is a 6x zoom on, on the, the camera. And already now the iPhone has three cameras. One's the zoom, which is 3x. Okay, and then there's a uh, regular, and then there's a you know a wide, mm -hmm. and so you switch switching between those three, and it's combining those three in software to do various things. Uh, so the idea is that the three X would now be six X. Now the way they do it is a way that I think a few Android phones already do it is they use a periscope because you need <laughs> to have some distance, right, optically, right. and the phone is thin. So you can only have so much space, you know, from the one end of the lens to the to the actual element. But if you do a mirror and make it into a periscope, you could actually direct the light at right angles down the body of the of the device. Right. And th that will be interesting. And it's one of the features I always look for because it's the only way in which an iPhone for me fails as a camera constantly is being able to zoom in on something. Oh, see right. an eagle sitting on a tree limb as I'm going for one of my walks? Great, I can admire it, but I'm not gonna get a good photo of it <laughs> because right. it's too far away. It's, right. you know, it's sitting in the top branch of some tall tree. So, but if I had my, you know, my Canon or my Sony with the telephoto lens, I'd be able mm -hmm. to get a beautiful picture, but I don't know to take those with on walks. So having a 6X is, you know, at least a step closer um, the, the rumor is, though, that it's only going to be on the large size pro model. Usually Apple comes out with a regular size pro and a large size pro. And mm -hmm. recently they've been pretty equivalent except for the screen. Um, so I just have the regular size one because I want something smaller, easier to carry with me. Mm -hmm. But going with the larger size, I may have to do that if there's a Periscope 6X telephoto lens in it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's certainly going to make me... Um, you know, have to like pause and think about which one I want to get, which is actually the number one reason why I think Apple's going to do it <laughs> because it's never easy for me. It, there's never like a clear choice of like, oh, well, there's this one, obviously. 
Um, no, there's always like, oh, I want to get the smaller screen, easier to carry in my pocket, but I want the 6X lens. Which one do I do, right? It wouldn't be a an iPhone launch without that conundrum. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that I think is going to happen. But besides that, there's really not too much else uh, that's being talked about. Of course, I'm still on the iPhone 13. So, you know, one of the advantages of skipping a year is the fact that, oh, I not only look at what's new in the iPhone 15, but what was new in the iPhone 14 that I haven't gotten yet. Right. Um, so, you know, having like instead of a notch at the top and having a little island where the camera is in is something I've you know, been looking forward to and I've missed out on in the last year. Um, so I'd be getting that and also uh, you know two jumps in speed and other capabilities for the device. So I'm starting to wonder, I mean, so the, the fact that this is, I don't want to call it a boring announcement, but it's certainly not as big as some of the announcements in the past. Yeah. Are we reaching a plateau when it comes to what we can do with our mobile phones? Um, <clears throat> is Or, you know, are yeah. we starting to level off? I mean, how much more can you cram in there? It's great to be faster. It's great to have more zoom in your camera, um, you know, more pixels in your pictures. But, um, <laughs> you know, at some point, how much more do you, how much more can you do? And from their perspective, how much more is compelling uh, for people to actually right. shell out the money? Yeah, I, I, I think in some ways we reached that point years ago. Um, but the, the thing is, is that with phones, you carry them with you everywhere. Mm -hmm. They get banged up. Mm -hmm. you're, you're wearing down the battery. You're scratching mm -hmm. it. You know, all, all these things that basically make them have a, a similarity to being a consumable item, right? Um, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of people that take really good, careful care of them and all that. But, uh, you know, I think people, there are a lot of people that upgrade, whether it's iPhone or Android phones, are just simply, it's like, oh, I've had this one for a while. The battery's starting to run down. There's a couple of minor new features I want. The screen's got some scratches or something. Um, so it's probably about time. I got a new one and well, they've and just reached some kind of threshold for them. Yeah. Nothing, and, nothing truly compelling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I think, I think it's, it's also easy to justify too, if you use the device a lot. Right. You know, I think if you're using your phone all the time, then, and it's like getting old and there's a new one out and there's some minor new features you want. Um, you know, it's like, all right, so, you know, spend the, spend the money. It's right. harder, I think, with some things to spend money when, you know, if you, if you just don't get a lot of, a ton of use out of those things, you know, just, it's like, oh, there's a new thing out, but do I really use it enough to justify having something newer than what right. I've got now? Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, and I think Apple gets a higher percentage of those people. Like there's definitely people both at Android and with the iPhone that, uh, aren't don't really care about having the latest and greatest True. and they carry it with them everywhere, but they don't use it as much as everybody else. Right. Oh, I use it for phone calls and text messages mostly. And that's it. You know, every once in a while I order a pizza, um, <laughs> you know, but, and there's, there's plenty of that, but I think because what, if you walk into a phone store and you want a new phone and you don't, you're not a tech person, you're no one that would in a million years listen to the show, for instance, um, you you end up probably with an Android device, right? They're going to be way cheaper, mm -hmm. uh, for one thing. Uh, so you get this Android device, and 
you're not good. You don't even keep track of like, you know, you're, you're one of those people. It's like, how, which model do you have? I don't know. You know, I bought it like right. three years ago. I don't know which right. model it is, you know, whereas a, you know, somebody like you or me would be like, I have the iPhone 13 pro. Of course, I, you know, I know exactly what I've got. Google Pixel um, XL pro. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like when you don't, you, you know, I think there's a higher percentage of Android users are like that. Not that there aren't plenty of high-end Android users know exactly what they've got, know exactly mm -hmm. what's coming out, know all the rumors and all of that. But I think there are fewer percentage of iPhone users are of that. You know, you're not going and saying, oh, there's a $500 phone or, you know, and a, and a $1,200 phone. I'll go for the $1,200 one. And, and it's, oh, it's an iPhone. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, I mean, you, you know, you just don't do that right. uh, with an iPhone. But there are, you know, there's the iPhone SE. Um, there's plenty of people that are told what to get, right? You know, your relative or friend, mm -hmm. you know, you say, oh, I need to get a new phone. Okay, go get the new iPhone SE. You know, or go get, they have the sales now on the iPhone 11. Get that at yeah, T-Mobile or whatever. You know, and other... it's like, all right. And, you know. The other part too is that I think people live in ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. the folks that um, are running Macs will probably typically choose to get iPhones. Yes, um, and you know the rest the rest of the world maybe has more choice or has has you know is more likely to to look at some of the other alternatives. I will say that I do definitely know some folks who um, use their phone constantly. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like, it's tethered, it's tethered to the end of their arm. It's not even in their pocket. And what's interesting about that is that when the phone breaks, which it naturally eventually does, um, no, they have not been keeping up on what's the current, what's the latest, what's the feature, what's the, this, what's the, that. Mm -hmm. But when they go to the phone store, they are also interested enough to say, okay, what is the current latest? What is the the you know what is the most feature feature ridden version of of the phone that I just had? Or I was tired of that phone. Give me the the best phone in the other line and that kind of stuff. So, I think there are definitely power users. They're just not necessarily power users who are staying up to date on what's coming down the pike. They just right. look at what's available when they need a phone, and uh, almost always go high end. Yep, there's definitely a big disconnect between I think people who don't use their phones much, maybe that's the bigger number. And right. they don't realize there are people that like live with right. their phones in their hands. I mean, that have like, they're taking pictures all the time. They're posting to Instagram. They're watching TikToks. They have, they're curating their Spotify playlists. They've got, uh, you know, all, all these different apps. They're, they, they, you know, are ordering cars for, you know, to get rides. They're using it to get scooters. They're using it to order food. I mean, there's just like everything to them is on the phone and they use it for a ton of stuff that they do in their lives. And then yeah. there's the person that sends two text messages and makes one phone call a week. The you scenario know? that I've been, that I'm, that I have in the back of my mind is actually apparent. Um, and, you know, they're constantly, constantly communicating texting, mm -hmm. messaging, whatever it is, but they're, you know, organizing this and talking about that and doing something for the schools and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's all through their phone, all through yep. their phone. And it, yeah. and it takes a wear and tear on the, on the device. I mean, it's a phone is kind of solid state. I mean, you're touching glass, right. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, activate things and stuff, but I mean, there's still the chemicals of the battery in there. You're mm -hmm. still something you're handling all the time. Um, shoving it into your pocket is not going to damage it, but shoving into your pocket a hundred thousand times, 
Well, you know? and, and sitting on it, as the case may be. Um, and, you know, it's heating up and cooling down and heating up yes. and cooling down, that kind of stuff, too. Mm -hmm. All righty. All right. Well, it yeah. sounds like it'll be an interesting release. Personally, I, like I said, I've got the, the Pixel Pro 6, and I am looking forward to, uh, I've skipped the 7, which has been out for a while, um, and I'll be interested to see what the 8 has. Uh, and it's, again, one of those things where, you know, my 6 is doing me just fine. It really is. But if it died, um, yeah, I would get the latest and greatest of whatever the current version of that phone is. All righty. What is cool this week? So, um, I this is weird. This is just an article I found. Uh, I believe it's out on Ars Technica, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, it's an article entitled The IBM Mainframe, How It Runs and Why It Survived. And my initial reaction when I saw that uh, headline was it still exists because <laughs> I was under the impression, clearly the mistaken impression, that Yes, there may be some mainframes, but they would be legacy mainframes, right? The older stuff that is yeah. still in service because uh, the cost of migrating all of the software uh, to newer systems is just too high or it's in progress or whatever. Uh, and I was under the impression that for the most part, when people migrate off of my, that the people were migrating off of mainframes and that when they were doing so, they were doing it to essentially, um, you know, x86 or, or blade servers or you know massive arrays of servers like you might find at a server farm or aws or those kinds of things um you know aws is exactly the picture that comes to mind if, if i'm going to migrate off of a uh, off of a mainframe then let let's fire up a few hundred aws servers to replace them there's i'm sure there's a way to do it as it turns out ibm has been very quietly continuing to uh, to develop mainframe computers and the picture in the article is kind of fascinating because it really just looks like a huge pc um you know it's got this you know the same design aesthetics of the box and so forth yeah um, and so the article actually goes into some interesting technical detail about the processor the ram the amount of the amount of uh, disk space that's on it why it's used how it's used um, how much of IBM's original JCL uh, the job control language uh, that was invented in like the 60s is still in use today on these newer machines. Anyway, I just found it fascinating. I found it really cool. Um, and as someone whose uh, initial, you know, my, the very first programming I did ever was on a mainframe, although not at IBM, um, I like I said, it just it was fascinating to to read and see what was going on. Cool. Yeah, I had no idea that they were that that still existed. Yep, that's fascinating. Um, I remember using I what PDP eleven. I used, I actually, the first time I ever interacted with the computer, it was a PDP one. Uh -huh. So yeah, mainframe downtown Philadelphia. And I was accessing it through at a school, uh, in the district. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, my, my ain't it cool. is a little more conventional, uh, a book, a sci-fi book. <laughs> I just read, um, uh, the book station 11, which you may find as a fam uh, familiar, uh, title because it was made into an HBO series one that i haven't seen you um, haven't but oh 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 so i've seen it and we really it. we really enjoyed it yep i i'm not sure if i'm going to watch it because i enjoyed the book a lot and i felt very fulfilled by the book like uh -huh. i really sometimes when i read something and i know that there's been a movie or tv show made out of it i want to see it's like oh who how did they cast it like what do they look like and how did they change it and i just i read the book and i was like completely satisfied like not like oh this is the most amazing book I've ever read, but mm -hmm. like I just like felt like I got 
everything I wanted to get out of the story from the book. Very well done. Very easy to read because it's very well written and it's a post-apocalyptic story. Mm -hmm. um, but one, I would say it was an optimistic book, like, you know, a happy post-apocalyptic story. Um, I would say it wasn't, it wasn't as much of a downer as the rest. Most of the people involved were decent people. Like there wasn't the underlying feeling of dread that most post-apocalyptic stuff happens. It has that, you know, it's like everybody's out to get you, you know, the kind of thing. It was like, in this case, there were some bad people, but most people weren't bad and, and all of that. And it, it had some really interesting characters and it jumped back and forth in time. It was, it was written prior to the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. and some of the flashbacks to the time of the start of the of the pandemic in this book mm -hmm. were chilling because <laughs> they were very similar. Right. It was like basically day one of the pandemic was our day, you know, you know, very similar to like the feeling of like when our COVID pandemic hit and yep. just things went into a kind of a worst possible scenario <laughs> uh, situation. So sometimes that was hard to, you know, yeah, I had to remind myself this was written first. <laughs> the author didn't know anything about what was going to happen in, in 2020, um, but it was still good. It was still a, a good, uh, interesting, um, uh, you know, if you like the post-apocalyptic right. genre, uh, it's probably one of those that, you know, has to, if you like it, you, you, it's like one of those books you have to read because, people talk about it um a fair, fairly decent amount and i honestly can't tell you whether or not i would now based on what you've said recommend watching the show or not all i yeah. will say is that without having read the book um yeah. we definitely did enjoy the show uh so it was it was well produced as most things on hbo are um, yeah so i'm don't know if there's if they're planning a sequel on it or not the um, book's a standalone book, uh, as far as I know. There's right, no but I don't know how book. far into the book yeah. the series may have gone. Um, but uh, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, let's see. So blatant, absolutely blatant self-promotion. Uh, my article that I'm going to throw people at this week is what's the point of Mark as spam? Spam is, of course, the never-ending mm. battle in, in email. And honestly, Mark as spam is pretty much the only tool we have to... Uh, uh, to fight it on a day-to-day -day basis. And I basically describe, okay, why why would you want to? Uh, why would you not want to? Uh, what happens when you get it wrong? Uh, and so forth. So I think that's that's an interesting article. Askleo.com slash 162055. Yes. I often uh, have online fights with uh, people about what how to handle spam because mm -hmm. a lot of times people ask me how to get something done and it turns out it's part of an elaborate spam reporting process that they've created for themselves um where they you know blocking email addresses which are faked anyway right um doing lots of filtering trying yeah. to deal with it and a lot of the time i say look it's really just delete it just delete it don't let it yep. you're, you're letting it take up a lot of your time Get on with your life is a phrase I use and, repeatedly, yes. And the two things I'm often uh, amazed to discover is a lot of times people are dealing with spam that's already in their junk folder. Yes. They just don't like it being in their junk folder. I'm like, yep. there's spam in my junk folder. That's where it's supposed to be. That's that's where it goes to live and then die 30 days later. That's the um, system working, yes. Exactly. And other times it's people saying, I get so much spam. How much? Oh, I get a, a dozen a day. 
<laughs> and I'm like, it doesn't, it, that's 12 seconds. Delete, 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 delete. I mean, yeah. just, you know, it's the time it takes you to go and get the email address and do a block and all that stuff. You're, you're already just, you're already going in the wrong direction. Just delete and move on. They, and, and, and then there's people that try to get back like, oh, I'm going to figure out how, where is this coming from? I'm going to find out what server it's coming from, report it. It's like no, the spammer doesn't care. It doesn't work that way anymore. It doesn't yep. work that way. And you're reporting it to the wrong person. And and the spammer has no idea you've even tried to do that. Doesn't care. Anyway, I, my... I was going to say one last thing on that. The one that I, that I also actively dissuade people from doing whenever I hear the suggestion is um, they set up some kind of an automated bounce to the spam yeah. so that essentially they're trying to dissuade or... or fool the spammer into thinking that the mm. account doesn't exist. Um, and I have to tell them, A, it doesn't work. And B, guess what? You just became a spammer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that person who's getting, uh, getting, it's like the telephone um, thing, you know, when you get telephone spam, sometimes right. the, the caller ID would actually be a real number. Right. So I don't know if you've ever gotten this. I, I haven't myself, but people I know have gotten in the past where they somebody's called them up and say, stop calling me and try to sell me car insurance. You know, oh, like, no. what are you talking about? I, I not in that business. I don't do that. It's like, no, somebody call from this number. And it's like, uh, nope, nobody called you from this number. That was faked. And it was a random number. And guess what? It turns out it's mine. And it's like, oh, I'm reporting you. I know you're behind it. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't work like that. Um, the video I'll point to is how to create video travel maps with Keynote. Uh, it's the last in my series. I've done a series of three videos on how to basically put a map on the screen and then have an animated line draw, which is a nice thing to do uh, if you're making like a video of your vacation or whatever, and you could show like, here's where we went. We went from this place to this place. And uh, this one uses Keynote, which is uh, the presentation software that a lot of people don't know on the Mac is, is more than just presentation software. You can use it to create really cool motion graphics and then bring those into iMovie hmm. and create really cool stuff, stuff that other people would do in, say, like Adobe After Effects or whatever. But yeah, you can animate. So you can have like a little hiker with a line coming out of him as, as he walks down the trail and show like we went from this campsite to this campsite and you show it in your in your video and it, it's fair they're fairly easy to make once you've set it up interesting yeah awesome i may have to uh to peek in at that because i i've occasionally in my video work i want to do some animation and um yeah the uh, sounds like keynote is going to be a lot easier if i can export it into a format that i use the other approach that i've been using i think i talked i mentioned it before that i'm using davinci resolve which will do everything um but as with all of these high-end tools uh yeah it'll do everything it's just that that first step is a huge one <laughs> all right, oh, sure, learn, there's so many options yeah, yeah the learning curve like, is, is amazing oh yeah because i one of the three videos i do it in motion Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, anybody that wants to look at the how to do an animated travel map in Apple Motion, which is Apple's version of um, uh, After Effects, mm -hmm. um, you look at that, you see the massive controls and yep. all the stuff and and all. And it's like, we're just going to use these couple of things to do this. And then you go to Keynote and it's a nice clean interface. And it's like, oh, we're just going to draw a line. We're going to apply click. this little animation yep. effect to it. <laughs> and there it is. It's done. And you basically get the same thing as the result. Um, but without all those complications. Cool. So, well, I think we've eaten up the better part. No, over an hour. We've done it again. Uh, we, of course we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh202. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave it leave it there on the show notes page and we'll be sure to see it. Thanks as always for listening and we'll see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.